You've found the podcast where driving matters. Whether you haul, commute, or cruise, we want you to love what you drive. We're here to help you find usability and fun. From first-time buyers to jaded experts, we believe everyone is one great car away from being car-obsessed. I'm Paul. I'm Todd. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hey guys, happy Tuesday. Boy, did we have an interesting weekend. Yeah. We had yeah. we talk about the 86s being twins. We had the triplets this weekend. I mean, kind of. We had the twins <laughs> plus the the step stepbrother because we had the first gen GT86 the Hakone edition with our brand new GR86 back on its black stock wheels next to a fully stock similarly spec pretty much identical brand new Subaru BRZ. Do you realize that the premium version of the GR86 is the top version, but the premium version of the Subaru is the low version, and they go to limited? So I find that really confusing. It's really yeah. dumb. Uh-huh. Yeah. Nevertheless, we had all three cars, so that film will be coming, but it is a comparison. Mm-hmm. We wanted to know, and despite all of the you know, the journalists saying, we're here to find out, which I hate that phrase, like, <laughs> we've crafted this entire comparison to... Find out. Well, of course. Let's go find (laughs) out. In this case, we're going to find out. Look out. (laughs) But both companies have publicly stated the differences between two cars, and we wanted to find out. Well, but what I so we found out totally. The good news is we did. (laughs) We did all of that. We did. What I I find fascinating about those two cars in first gen and in second gen is I feel like there are two strange factions on the internet. I mean, there are about a lot of things, but follow me through. (laughs) There's only two factions? No, but there's two factions on the internet. And one of those factions is they're two totally different cars, man. I mean, they're not even the same. You have to like, just like, they're different cars in the marketplace, which they're not. (laughs) And then the other faction is they're absolutely 100% identical. There's nothing about them that's different, which is also not true. Well... Despite all that, we found out. We, we did so find out. There will, there will be finding out, did. and there will be sharing with all of you coming it. up soon. It was, it was a fantastic <laughs> shoot. We had a, a strange problem that only strikes us a couple times a year, and that is um, the roads we all wanted. Oh, yes. Are actually, right. they're melted, but they're not open. We know they're brilliant, and they're Which, perfect right and, now. And, and, and we've seen yeah. with, like, on the cameras that you can pull up, we've seen that they're, they've melted out. But they haven't opened them yet. So it's just like, well, I'm not going to buy a pair of bolt cutters as much as I want to. <laughs> we carry bolt cutters I, I really, now. really want to. That's but, part of so the So we had to go find issue. a road that worked, and we found a road that was great, and it was a really cool couple of days. Well, good news, everyone. Audi and Porsche are entering Formula One in 2026. The CEO of Volkswagen, whose name I probably will mispronounce despite mm. my best intentions, he has confirmed that both companies will enter. And that is because Formula One has apparently committed to making e-fuels part of the sport by 2025. Mm, And as you know, Porsche has been dabbling. Well, Mm -hmm. not dabbling, but they're heavily investing in in e-fuels and synthetic fuel technology. So we're very excited by that. Audi may buy McLaren, maybe. We'll see. There's rumors. Mm, Audi's, you know, steadfastly saying no. We're hearing from Zach Brown. No is the answer. And then that probably is code for yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the internet feels when otherwise. Both we'll parties deny it vociferously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, there's no way this is happening. That's a solid yes. <laughs> That's what that means. So it's yes then. Got it. Okay, thanks. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then Porsche fielding its own team, and therefore Volkswagen's back in the sport. That's excellent news. I mean, it's been, well, for Porsche, it's been years. And I feel like Porsche has tried the Formula E, and then they've done Le Mans forever, and they just want some, some new challenge. They've, they've yeah. touched on it. In the 80s, when they had the um, 
the Tog engines, the Tog Heuer mm-hmm. engines, yeah, yeah, yeah. that collaboration. Yeah. But I don't know that there was ever a Porsche factory team. So this is exciting. I know who well, I'm rooting for. I don't remember the last time that Audi was in either. Uh, that's been yeah, a right. long, They're, long time. Because I, mean, I, think, I think of them as Le Mans. I don't think of them as Formula yeah. One at all. That's a fascinating entry. So wait, are you saying the, the Porsche cars were powered by watch engines? They were. It was. Mu- they were using the money, the watch uh, oh, money. Okay, got it. from Tog. Got, and got it. Okay. It was a collaboration. Right. They actually right. said that on the cam covers. Of course, it did. Why, it was why all very interesting. When your car needs new brakes, and it will, it's a great time to upgrade for better stopping power. We're excited to partner with PowerStop Brakes for an easy way to get more performance for something you already need. PowerStop is on a mission to deliver better brakes on every vehicle in every situation, from daily commuting to towing to track days. These are bolt-on, direct-fit parts for better braking with no modifications required. Every PowerStop Complete Brake Kit comes with all the parts you need to upgrade your brakes. That includes the pads, rotors, and even those little clips and fasteners. Plus, all their pads are made from a carbon fiber ceramic compound, which they've tested extensively to deliver low dust and noise-free performance. So the next time you need new brakes or simply want to upgrade, visit PowerStop.com and enter your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use car finder. Todd and I even found great kits for our SUVs and cheap sports cars. Give your everyday driver the easy and affordable performance upgrade it deserves at PowerStop.com. Well, guys, we have a unique podcast today. We have a really cool topic Tuesday. We have a car conclusion, not because we're doing lots of car conclusions, but because it is completely pertinent to right now. We don't mm-hmm. often do news, but it is one of those car conclusions where it's just like, we got to share that story right away. So that's happening, <laughs> and we even have a car debate. Daniel S. writes to us with the headline asking if straight-six engines are boring. Ooh, I, I, I can hear drums and see pitchforks. There's more factions. There, 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 there's straight there's torches coming this way. Yeah. Daniel says, avid listener and car enthusiast here. Daniel, thanks for writing. Really appreciate it. He wanted to pose a controversial question. Mm-hmm. Are straight six engines boring? His top criteria for car selection is the fun factor with a goal in automotive life to experience all kinds of engines, all, t- all the types, and drive layouts. Okay. His favorite past cars have been the Mazda Miata and the Ford Fiesta ST. While being boatloads of fun, they have a reputation for unremarkable four-cylinder engines. They do, yes. Next on his list is great naturally aspirated straight six engines. He's an engineer by trade, and he's interested in how technically impressive this configuration is with its practically perfect mechanical balance. Mm-hmm. Yes. The intention, has to been, the intention has been to buy the last of the BMW straight sixes, the great ones, sure. before they began turbocharging them. Okay. He lives in Australia, and he subscribes to the slow car fast philosophy, and he's not been looking at models that are too fast to bring out on the street. Okay, like it. So he's tried out the six-cylinder BMW Z4, like your Love cheap it. sports That's car, Todd as well as a 125i and a 130i. Now, these have lived up to their reputation of being silky smooth and linear. High in the rev range, you'd think the engine was idling because of the lack of vibration. Mm -hmm. But Daniel came away dissatisfied. Interesting. The smoothness and composure came across as undramatic, and the linear delivery lacked punch. And then getting back into the Fiesta, its little engine felt fizzy with mid-range turbo punch. Mm Mm-hmm. Is he barking up the wrong tree by looking for a characterful and dramatic engine in a straight six configuration, or is he simply looking at the wrong examples? Should he reorient himself towards different configurations like a boxer engine, or perhaps, he suggests, the Alfa Romeo Busso V6, the very eccentric, he says. Mm-hmm. Kind regards, Daniel. Wow. I, it had never occurred to me that the thing that everybody wants, every car manufacturer yeah, chases... Yeah which is smoothness and refinement and lack of torque dip, 
yeah. <laughs> good torque plateau. Everybody, every car journalist talks about yeah. the flat torque curve, which is what you want. Well, especially if you have a turbo, it just builds a plateau. <laughs> yeah. That this was boring because, of course, the handling characteristics of the car and how it drives mm. and how it interacts, but then you can count on that engine to just give you power whenever you need it. It's mm-hmm. smooth and refined, yeah, yeah. and you're just listening to the beautiful engine note. It didn't occur to me that you want kind of lumpy. And by virtue of driving a Fiesta ST, you've got a light switchy turbo. Yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Plaid. Oh, yeah. yeah. Boom. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> now, Daniel, this is a fascinating discussion because uh, there, there's other things going on here that just engine. Because you're also driving the Fiesta ST, which, by the way, I don't care what its engine is. Because the second gen is a three-cylinder. Maybe he needs a three-cylinder the, Fiesta the, the, ST. The point I'm making here is the fact that that entire car is buzzy and interesting. Yeah, yeah. And depending upon how you spec out a 125 or a 130i, they can be flat-out boring as cars. The Z4 is interesting because of its configuration, because it's a convertible, but but that actually depends. Watch all the discussions I had about it. I didn't have the nice S with the excellent steering. I had no steering feel, which muted a lot of the character of the car. An engine can't necessarily give a car character by itself, with some exceptions. The the Ford GT350 springs to mind. Sure. But in general, an engine can't give a car fun and character in the same way that an engine can't completely destroy fun and character in a fun car. If you have a fun little buzzy four-cylinder, as you've discovered, maybe that engine's terrible. But in the right car, it's okay. The engine that Mm. was in the prior 86 was in other Subaru product. Indeed. That yep. other Subaru yep. product would all be defined as boring. The 86, while the engine was disappointing, the car was interesting. The Fiesta ST is just a little surprise, fun little companion, period. And the other thing that goes on, and we hear this on the internet anytime we bring up the GR86, once people have discovered turbos, if it doesn't have a turbo punch, it's not fun anymore. Right. And. Right. This is different kinds of power delivery. I have the 300ZX right now, which has the better part of 400 horsepower and a crazy talk about punch turbo turn on in the middle, like all of a sudden we have power. <laughs> I have my uh, Lotus Elise, which has a second cam instead of a turbo. So that does a different thing. And then we have the GR86, which has this steady pull about it. Right. Yeah. The engines are not what make any of those three cars fun. And all three of those engines are interesting in their own right. Your Z car is like zero to jail in seven seconds or something like that. It, it, when mean, you get into when it, it comes it, on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what's, what's funny about that car is that I'm not a takeoff from the light guy in that car at all. But what's hysterical is but we're traveling at roughly freeway-ish speeds that I'd like to pass you. Then it's, I mean, it's that 50 <laughs> to 70. It's like, and we're gone. And I'll be passing you. I'm trying to imagine your Lotus and my Cayman with different engines. Mm-hmm. And if we'd still like the cars. And I think the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I had an inline four in the Cayman and you had a V6, we'll say. A, a straight six turned sideways. Yeah. I think we'd still really like our cars because yeah. of the dynamics. Yes. We agreed. like it because of the engine note, because of the power. You like when that cam comes on and the sure, Lotus. Sure. You talk about that a lot. I love the engine note mm-hmm. and the popcorn when I let off the gas. <laughs> There's nothing like it. Yeah, it does sound great. It's spectacular. And I love the whale. Mm-hmm. But I... I think we'd still like our cars. Agreed. Even if it didn't have those engines. Daniel, I think the six-cylinder engine is the most prolific over time 
I, Maybe. I could be off here, but think about it. Inline six engines, then there's V6s, then there's the Volkswagen VR6 engine. Sure, yeah. Then there's the flat six, and pretty much all the semi-trucks in North America, generally speaking, are inline six turbo diesels. Sure, yeah. Not big V8s and those the semi-trucks. There's the four, four-liter straight six in the Jeeps. Yeah. This keeps going. You're right. That's an interesting point, yeah. The six-cylinder is almost the most versatile. Now that I think about it, nobody's building inline straight eights. <laughs> That's true. Those did not. <laughs> I yeah. mean, as cool as it is and as interesting a body shape that that mm-hmm. lends itself to, nobody's doing that. But inline sixes have continued. Mercedes is back to doing inline sixes in yeah, most yeah. of their cars at this point. Yeah. And they're coupling them with the 48-volt mild hybrid drive And then turbo, and then you don't care how many cylinders it has because exactly. it's just a rocket ship. And in those cars, you do want smoothness, yeah. and that's what manufacturers are going after. I'm, I'm confused by this, and I'm, I'm also applying this to my, my own car taste. Mm. Do I want a lumpy engine? And I guess it might be the answer why I like the four-cylinder Cayman and Boxster. Mm. The answer is yes. Mm. I do like that engine. It has a lumpy, weird idle. It, it's not the most smooth whale at the top end. But I like that engine because I think it adds character to those cars. Mm, interesting. I think it's interesting, and it's part of their history. I think that's why I like it in the 86, but I hate it in the first gen because of the lack of power. Sure. If sure. it had power in that car, that would just solve everything. I've talked about this for years, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's why I liked the GR86 so much. I do enjoy that engine, and I think there's a lot of character to the car. And... It's the fine balance for car manufacturers between having an engine in their portfolio versus designing and building a new engine for just that car. Yes. That's why Toyota went shopping for BMW engines Mm -hmm. for the Supra. Yep. It already existed in a lot of cars. They can almost buy it off the shelf, reconfigure (laughs) it, repackage a few things to fit it into the space of the Supra. Bang, and they've got it, mm-hmm. and it lends itself to a beautiful sports car shape. Yeah, and it has the history of being that six-cylinder that has to be in the Supra. Yeah. Talk about famous inline sixes, yeah. the 2JZ. Yeah, I've heard of it. What is that? I've heard of it. Well, I think it was Fast and the Furious that told me about it. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, Daniel, I'm wondering if that's the case, and you, you don't like those engines simply because they're too smooth, you need to not shop them then. Mm-hmm. I think you're trying to fit square peg in a round hole or vice versa. Daniel, I'll say something that is maybe as controversial as what you've brought up. I actually think that the straight six engine is the closest in power delivery to electric cars as far as a gasoline motor. The way it delivers because power. Because it just sure. pulls yeah. and it never really gets that much louder and it just, it pulls and the pull is very consistent. I can see that. Granted, it has growth to it, which an electric motor doesn't have, but, but short of a rotary, of course, a rotary is a separate science project entirely. I've driven multiple rotary cars and here's, here's the, the flip side. Multiple rotary cars and every single one of them, I liked the car more than the engine. Mm-hmm. The yeah. car was really cool. The engine, yeah. I was like, I'm a little terrified. So, so but, <laughs> right. but there are people that, that will buy it because it's a rotary. There's the whole rotary cult True. as well. So what, I, what I'm hearing here, Daniel, in spite of the fact that this is a controversial headline, I think what this comes down to is, personally, you need the engine to be interesting. And the straight six is an engineering marvel. You've brought it up. But it's too refined for your taste. And I'll, and I'll flip it around yeah. here. What you haven't owned is a V8. A V8, by its nature, isn't refined. Sure. Sit in a yeah. V8 at a light. And it just it just bobbles and shakes the car, and it's it's angry that it's not working hard. It just yeah. sits there idling for, in a frustrating way, like the like the engine itself is angry. 
Mm-hmm. And then you you ask it to do stuff, and it, it really wants to advertise how powerful and loud it really It's just, have you heard me yet? All right. Okay? A straight six does none of that. And I think you need an engine to have a little bit of drama about it. But I, I do think, don't overlook the car it's in. That's a great call, because if all of us enthusiasts were interested in the FD Generation RX-7, mm-hmm. and it didn't have the rotary that car would be far more popular. That's mm-hmm. why everybody tries to yank the rotary out of it and replace mm-hmm. it with anything else that'll fit. Of course, it changes the balance. Yeah, but or, people or put can. small block uh, Chevys in there, sure. and then they wind up with a V8. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Which is what we're talking about. But yes, and I love the car. I could take or leave the rotary, mm. to be honest. It's mm. just how the car came and what Mazda was pursuing. So clearly, your requirements for choosing your car are more engine-based. Yeah. And that's why I'm suggesting maybe you need to go shop for a five-cylinder engine. You want oh, sure. off-camber, sure. warbly, burbly, kind of not smooth, and kind of a weird exhaust note. Audis and Volvos, go chase some weird five-cylinder Audi. That's different. Or like Todd said, a rotary. Or how about a turbine engine? Or possibly go full electric. <laughs> so no engine well, at all. I think, I think electric would bore Daniel. The other thing I think is yeah. interesting is the two it, cars he's exactly. liked the most are Mazda Miata and the Fiesta ST, but he had them in that order. <laughs> I wonder, Daniel, just that looking backwards in time, since you have the Fiesta ST little turbo snorty little thing right now, if you bought a Miata or you got in a Miata right now, would that car bore you? I'm wondering if the Possibly. turbo has kind of ruined you and you want that turbo delivery and a naturally aspirated car just will never do that. I'm thinking, I'm leaving you with this, Daniel. Cayman or Boxster with the flat four, the turbo flat four. They're oh, not inherently smooth engines. True. When I turn on the GR86 and fire it up every time, the cold start is pretty rough. Mm, mm. It's got a lot of character to it. It's kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah. So okay. on the low end, I guess, GR86 or BRZ or okay. the Cayman Boxster. Everybody, it's funny. Everybody loves the Cayman Boxster and then promptly won't buy it because of that engine. Yeah. I like the engine. I think it's awesome. I think that's going to become the real deal in used Porsches is the four-cylinder Cayman and Boxster. I think are going to be the ones. They're going to be the unloved generation of that car. They'll be the 996 of the Cayman generation. And I think it'll take a while for them to come back around and people really like them. But I think you're going to be able to get the the base engine is 300 horsepower. The base Cayman and Boxster with that (laughs) four-cylinder. So it is a fantastic way to get into a Porsche that is the quote-unquote unloved Porsche. But that's where the deals are. When you rent a car from DriveShare, it's going to be one of the coolest car experiences you've had in a very long time. That's because DriveShare is a car sharing community that connects renters with owners of cool cars. We're talking vehicles that elevate any occasion, like a wedding or a special celebration or a vacation. Or you can just enjoy a dream ride. Rent a car for driving, for display, or to be chauffeured around. List your car to earn some extra money knowing you're covered by exceptional insurance and roadside service. Owners and renters can both rest easy and enjoy the ride. Visit driveshare.com or download the app to rent or list a ride today. We have a car conclusion that that touches on current events, which is not what we're really about. We're about cars. We're about escape from the world and the craziness of the world. But every now and then the two converge. This is amazing. And right here, this car conclusion is right in the middle of current events. Johnny FD writes to us. As of this podcast recording, it's been only one day since we've received his email. We just got it. Yeah, which is why we felt like we have to cover this right now. Well, Johnny FD says this is a bit of a wild one. He knows he's always been a massive fan of cool, fun-to-drive cars. He first learned to drive stick on his mom's Eagle Talon TSI turbo all-wheel drive when he grew up in San Francisco. Those were cool. Those Those were so cool. cool. Yeah. 
Well, then Johnny had a 97 Toyota Celica, which he loved, along with an 87 rear-wheel drive Nissan 200SX V6 manual. After college, when he worked a corporate job, Johnny bought a 95 Lexus LS400, thinking he needed to be a more mature, working a white-collar job in Orange County, California. But then he missed driving fun, mm. so he used a bonus paycheck to buy a 1992 first-gen Miata in Smurf Lego Blue, which he absolutely <laughs> loved. There you go. Reset. Finally... He bought a 1999 Porsche Boxster, manual, silver with red leather interior, whose favorite car he's ever owned. But after five months, the car would no longer go into first gear or reverse and cost too much for him to fix or keep it. In 2007, Johnny decided to quit his job, sell all of his things, including the cars, and move to Thailand to work as a professional scuba diver. That's a, that's a left turn. No kidding. Well, okay, all right. Since then, he'd only owned motorbikes and scooters and would rent cars once a year, or do hot laps whenever he'd visit Speed Vegas to, just to scratch his itch. I love it. Fast forward 14 years, and he's now living in Kiev, Ukraine. So hang on, full stop. <clears throat> Kiev, Ukraine. In case you haven't heard, in case you've been <laughs> under a really enormous rock, yes, this is the center of, uh, of a war right now, let's be honest. Well, Johnny bought a home right in the city center of the capital a year ago, mm. and although he didn't need a car, as he says, Kiev's subway system, public transport, and low-cost Ubers are amazing, he said he listened to every single episode of the car debate and dreamed about owning a fun car again. Unbelievable. Okay. Johnny, right, thank cool. you. That's great. He, really appreciate you He's been listening to the, the car debate forever without having a car. I love that. People write us every now and then, like from Manhattan, and go, am I a car enthusiast? I don't own a car. I'm like, well, you live in Manhattan. Why would you own a car? But of course, you're a car person. Anyway, <laughs> onward. So keep in mind, this email is one day old from Johnny. He says yesterday, during the 61st day of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, he randomly met a guy and bought from this person a 2008 Porsche Cayenne GTS for $10,000. Unbelievable. The guy it's selling it was moving to the UK to avoid the war and wanted mm. the cash to get it off his hands. Wow. This car is in perfect condition. It's very well maintained. He is loving driving it through the streets of Kiev. Yes, through the streets of Kiev. He says, even during wartime with military checkpoints, he is loving being behind the wheel. of It's, oh, it's kind of his gosh. battle cayenne now. That's just craziness. Johnny, this is the thing that amazes me, not about you, but about people in volatile areas. Mm. And I think this is something that we in the U.S., I'm sorry I'm preaching for a bit, don't appreciate because we don't see this kind of conflict on our shores, really. Mm. People that live in conflict zones end up moving on with life, end up kind of, they got to go to the yeah. grocery store and, and I, yeah. I got to take the trash out and I need to go run this errand. I'm aware that there's a war going on. Yeah. Okay. So he says he can't wait for things to settle down and for the war to end so he can go for some camping, a drive in the country and some barbecue. Johnny, that's just an amazing sentiment right there. But he says, no for kidding. now, he's using his Cayenne to help deliver food and donations to people in town who need it. And it will be his get-out-of-dodge car if he needs a last-chance, must-get-out-of-town vehicle. He has the Cayenne to do so. Unbelievable. Johnny, we're floored. And, yeah. of course, want you to stay safe. And Absolutely. it's yes. life. It's where you're at at this point in life. And I'm glad that you can enjoy the Cayenne despite everything going on around you. Yeah, I man, we're our thoughts are going out to you. Stay safe there, buddy, for sure. Our car debate comes from Dave F., who writes to us recently, a couple weeks ago, entitled California versus Supra. Mm -hmm. Toyota versus Ferrari. Okay? Yeah, this is this did not go where I expected, but yes. <laughs> Dave's been listening. He's actually a new listener. Really appreciate writing in, Dave. Yeah. He says if you ask his mother, his first words were Porcha and Cadillac before <laughs> mom and dad. <laughs> 
How how frustrated were they, by the way? Yeah. There is this this unspoken contest that goes on with parents. And most people don't talk about it, but it exists. <laughs> That's funny. Who are they going to talk about first? Who is the, whose name are they going to say oh, first? Funny. And many times, it's Dada because it's easier to say. <laughs> but there's a whole there's a whole conflict. Apparently, Porsche and Cadillac were easier Por- than that. Porsche for Dave. and Cadillac were better than Mama and Dada for him. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now, Dave is married with three daughters, and he says his minister of finance is open to any car purchases that make Dave happy. That's great. Wow, what an MOF. His current collection includes the following. A 2019 Ford Flex, which is his daily. Don't tell my wife. And Sorry. Trip yeah, okay. <laughs> his MOF drives a 2017 Porsche Macan, which she adores. I'm not surprised. She also has a toy, a new 2022 Bronco two-door. That is an awesome. I, I just oh, saw wow. my first two-door in person. I know you mentioned everyone it to me. I've yeah. seen is four doors. Everyone we've driven is four doors. I just saw my first two door, and, I, and look, I realize why the four door exists. I understand why the Wrangler Unlimited exists. I just think those designs and that idea is executed best in two door. And it was cool to see a two door Bronco finally and be like, "Yeah, that's cool." Totally. Well, Dave's college age daughter drives a 2017 Ford Focus ST. Says, manual transmission, thank you very much. <laughs> Parenting done right. <laughs> his teen daughter drives a 2010 Mercedes-Benz C350, and his youngest is 11 years old, so her car is a ways off. And at this point in the email, I thought, wow, that's a big list of cars. <laughs> and then the next paragraph smacks me across the face because he hasn't gotten to this list yet, which are, right. by the way, my toy cars are as follows. These are not... Like little tiny matchbox cars. These are the cars he has for fun. A 911, a 2011 911 C4S Cabriolet, a 1965 Corvette Coupe, a 1972 Porsche 914, and a 1978 Corvette Silver Anniversary. So there are four more cars in play that are just (laughs) for fun. I haven't even added. Hang on. One, the Flex, the Macan, the Bronco, the Focus ST, the Mercedes-Benz, the CS, the VET, the 914, and the, that's nine cars with the Corvette, the other Corvette. Wow. Well, Dave recently came to the realization that he can only tolerate one needy vintage vehicle. So okay. the 78 Corvette and the 72 914 are being sold, and he's only keeping the 1965 Corvette, which is gorgeous. I yes, mean, that, the Corvettes to have. Yes, that's, that's, that's that awesome. That is amazing. Sure. The recent addition of the Bronco and the imminent sale of the two needy Vintage vehicles means he will have one garage space opening up for a new car. How big is your garage? No Sorry, kidding. separate thing. The 911. This next sentence, Dave, made me uh, really. We had to reread it. Upset. It yeah. Mm-hmm. The 911 is his garage queen. He does not drive it often. He knows all the sides of drive versus preserve. Mm-hmm. It has 21,000 miles on it. It's 2011. Okay. All right. His wife, he and his wife take it out on date nights and Sunday drives, and he sees currently retailers asking over six figures for 997.2s, so he says it's a pretty trophy that will hopefully continue appreciating. It stays. But oh, if he man. sold the 911, okay. it would further complicate his collection because then he would have a stone in his shoe and he'd want another 911. I do see, I do see that point. This is hard for me to swallow. It's, and, it's painful uh, that that car essentially isn't driven. Yeah, Dave, it's taken me a lot of years to flip that on on that thinking on its head because yeah, yeah not that i'm still not that person i still am and it's hard for me to think take the car drive the car and i know yeah. you've heard of it you say you've heard all the sides yep <sighs> that's hard we, that's hard we for me still to swallow. want you to drive it we, we, we want absolutely frankly, we do. want that to be your daily 
I would I, love I it just, if it was. That, yes, just drive that car. Also, Dave, I'm going to say something you may not like, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know the 911s that don't hold their value are the convertibles. I hate to say that's it, but true. the Cabriolet yeah. 911s, that's the deal in 911s, no matter where they go. So the great 997.2s yeah. you're seeing going for crazy money, I feel confident in saying they aren't convertibles. Yeah. But yeah. I hope you drive that car a lot. Me too. Anyway. Drive that car. Well, moving on to the quandary, he says, to fill that empty garage space. Dave's always wanted a Ferrari. Mm. He's been eyeing the 2013 to 2014 California 30, okay. which means 30 kilos lighter and 30 horsepower more powerful. It was near the end of that car. I thought yeah. that was 2012 only, but nevertheless, it's at the end of the run. Yeah. He's in Southern California, so convertible weather is 12 months out of the year. He says he likes the, fa- the fact that his wife could use it when she wants as she's reluctant to drive a manual transmission. Okay. Ferrari's maintenance is terrifying and gives him pause. <laughs> So that's a definite negative. That is a definite negative. He said also he, would, he loves the fact that Toyota is finally making a super manual, and he would like, and I love this, he would like to encourage Toyota by buying a new super manual to be like, yes, money where my mouth is, buy, get more of these cars made, we will buy them. So that's all in play. Plus, a new vehicle warranty would be really nice since he won't have one on a used Ferrari. But by the way, think about the service costs of a used Toyota versus a used Ferrari. Now go new Toyota with warranty versus used Ferrari without one. Ten-year-old used Ferrari. Yeah. He says, this is a strange question. His debate is between a Ferrari California versus a, a Toyota Supra. Yeah. He says there's probably not of cross shopping going on. Rarely. Toyota Ferrari. Maybe the one. And either car would be occasionally driven, the Ferrari more so as his wife would use it. His budget is $150,000, although crossing the six-figure mark on a car gives him Ajita. He says he's very stressed out by this. And although he's got the means, the cheaper Toyota means more financial flexibility. He's weighing his lifelong desire for a Ferrari, which all of us have, Dave. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Which would be more usable on day-to-day. Because Maybe. of the auto. That's why he thinks it's more used. Because his wife wouldn't drive the manual. That's right. the key. If it's a manual super, she won't drive it. Right. But it comes with a terrifying maintenance potential yes. versus a manual transmission sports car, he says, which might provide a better, better enthusiast experience. What do we think? I didn't see this coming, Dave. I, I didn't at all. This I is really, really, really want you to drive that 911. <laughs> I really do. The answer, Dave, is drive the 911. The and answer is sell the two old cars, drive the 911, come back to us. <laughs> I, I've said this before to other listeners, Dave, and I'm going to say it to you out of car enthusiast fellowship Mm-hmm. you know, camaraderie. And it's, it took me a while to get here, but how long do you have left? Mm-hmm. That's a, yeah. And I'm not, I, well, I guess I am trying to be morbid because how long is your driving career? How much longer do you actually have to drive mm-hmm. when it, when you're on a day-to-day basis? It seems like, oh, I'll be driving forever. Yeah. How do you know? Mm-hmm. You've got the cars to enjoy them. And I say, drive the wheels off that thing. I agree. Plan road trips for it. I don't, yes. And it's do a road hard trip with your for wife me in to that say that day because I'm the same way. I've got the thing. And if you had a Ferrari, you would have it. Don't mm. drive it. Mm. Are you yeah, out of your mind? Point. Yeah. Which yeah, yeah. is all Ferraris. Rare is the Ferrari that has high miles on it. Rare. That's a good point. You don't see the Ferraris at the car, cars and coffee with rock chips on the front. You don't. Yeah. Because they sit at home. I mean, don't you dare drive the Ferrari because mm-hmm. oh, it might have maintenance involved. Yes. You might have to change a belt 
or change the oil or do something to it and it adds miles and so you're going to have to do a service which means engine out or engine in or who cares it's a lot of money but generally they go from the garage where they haven't moved at all to the cars and coffee and home again I believe Enzo Ferrari built his cars to drive you would think so which is counterintuitive to how every owner of a Ferrari almost every owner yeah treats their cars generally yeah I mm, this is frustrating for me and again (laughs) It took me a while to come around. Mm. And so I say, how much longer do any of us have to drive in our mm. driving careers? It seems like decades might not be. So wow. that's, go get that's, that enjoyment. That's serious, but it's, but it's absolutely right. And if you have a Ferrari sitting in your, in your garage, you wouldn't drive that. This you said it's for point. your wife. This is a great point. And you spent 150 grand for what? It, I, I am very worried about, because he says he's always wanted a Ferrari, how precious does that wind up when it's in the garage? How much does that very. not get driven? Because it's, well, but... And, and and I suspect that Dave would buy a really nice one, and then because it's really nice, it's another reason you can't drive it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just mm-hmm. I mm, I just I want to hang on to this. And, and let's I'm say your wife's out driving it. Your wife's driving it, and somebody backs into her. Mm-hmm. It, you know, she's backing sure. out, and somebody doesn't see her. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, the car's parked. It, it's happened to my Cayman. Mm. <sighs> well, the Ferrari is Stressful. a lot more precious than a C4S convertible. Yes. So how much is that going to be an issue? I agree with that. I have I have some some thoughts all over the map here for you, Dave. I have the single solution. Do you? I wonder if it's where I went for wildcard, but we'll see. Okay. All right. Do you want to you want to say your, I think let, you should say your list. Let me dive in and I'll save my okay. wildcard right, in case right. it's the same as your okay, car. Okay. Okay. okay? <laughs> First off, Dave, the big thing you're bringing up here is the fact that whatever this car is going to be, you want it to be fun but accessible for your wife, so which means it can't be a manual, mm-hmm. ideally. Mm-hmm. But you'd like to get a manual Supra, which brings up the obvious question. Why not an automatic Supra? If you want to encourage Toyota from making it, if the Supra has turned your head enough that it's even on this consideration list next to a Ferrari product, get an automatic Supra because it's an awesome automatic. And it's a better automatic than these classic Ferrari's automatics were. Totally. I'm wondering how much that old automatic might frustrate you. So there's that thought. The California is fine. It's fine. It's it's a Ferrari. There's Ferrari. It's almost a Ferrari badge only. Almost. There's Ferrari ness about it. Yeah. And we've driven one, and we did a review of it years ago, and we enjoyed ourselves, no question. But it is not a definitive Ferrari. It's not a standout Ferrari. It's not a Ferrari where you just go, "Oh my gosh, have you driven one of those?" It's not on that list. And what springs to mind is how you termed it when we drove it. Okay. You said this is the welcome to Ferrari. Absolutely, car. it is. Absolutely, it was. Every car company makes their yes. welcome to the brand kind of car. So while I like the California, and I see why you're interested, what you've said to me is you've always wanted a Ferrari and you want a convertible. I have a better choice for you. Mm-hmm. Similar era, little bit, little bit older, but I think it's more interesting. A 360 Modena convertible. Yes to that because. Because if you get the automatic, those are the ones that are affordable. You can't see the air quotes. They're eighty-five to ninety-five grand. You're going to save money off the California. You're going to have a car that is much more a definitive Ferrari. It's it's a mid-engine V8 Ferrari, and it's convertible. Yes. It'll have the early F1 gearbox, which admittedly is not great, but it is accessible for you and your wife both. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at a more classic, a little bit back in the catalog, accessible Ferrari, the Modena convertible is much more of an iconic Ferrari than the California. True. I totally agree. Yes. 
I won't get to wild card yet, but I will also say my wild card is under the category of must it be a Ferrari? Mine too. One of them is consider an Audi R8. Okay, okay. Because that would be fully accessible for you and your wife and is absolutely exotic. And you've stated a couple times that the Ferrari maintenance terrifies you. Now, that 4.2 liter V8 in the early Audi R8, I think the early ones are the best ones. The early 4.2 yes. liter yeah. V8 has known issues, but they're solvable issues. And compared to Ferrari maintenance, I'm maintaining an Audi. Okay. <laughs> Driving an A3. So I will, I will hold my breath on my actual wild card, which okay. I like for you almost as my only. My, it was almost like a wild card sniper shot consideration in case it's the same thing Paul's thinking. I think it's exactly the same, and I think everybody listening knows exactly what we're going to say. Let's see where you went. I want you to have a Ferrari. I want a Ferrari, Dave, but a Ferrari is not the cost of the car. Ferrari. That's why Ferrari owners don't drive their Ferraris and because it's maintenance. He's already scared of it. Yes. And, and you're wise to be scared of it, but you're already scared of it going in. Fine. You drop 150 grand on any Ferrari. That's your starting place. <laughs> it's like when you graduate college, you're dumb. You don't know a thing. It's because you haven't entered the working world yet. <laughs> yes, you have book knowledge, but you really know nothing. That's how I, I that was my own discovery. I'll okay. speak for me. Okay. All right. All right. I graduated college thinking, yes, I've got my degree. I knew nothing. <laughs> now it Zip. begins. That's I, when my education began. I have bought a Ferrari. Uh-oh. Ground yeah. zero. Yeah. When you buy it, that's when it all starts. And... I feel like it's the Porsche enthusiasts that really drive their cars. And if you buy a Ferrari, how much more mad respect will every enthusiast who sees your kind of slightly trashed Ferrari with rock chips and it's been driven and there's a scuff mark down the side and yep, a rock hit the mirror there, but it was an amazing road trip in Colorado or wherever. <laughs> I like They'll that. Be like, That's Holy good. crap. You drive your Ferrari. Yep. I've got 45,000 miles on it at this point and I've gone through three timing belts, two engine outs, a whole bunch of other stuff and it's cost me an arm and a leg, but I have a Ferrari. I'm back to Brian's questionable decisions as he drives yes. his 308 everywhere. I can't wait. I want to have him on the podcast. Brian, yes. if you're listening and we, before we bump into you in park city again, you have an open invitation to be on here to hear about you driving your Ferrari. It's hard for me to drive the 928. Mm. And I've dumped all this money in. And I'm like, well, why have I dumped money into it? Drive the thing. The paint is far from perfect, but it's original. Yeah. And I, it, there's going to be more rock chips. There's already got a rock chip in the windshield. This is our road trip plan. <sighs> it's coming. Yes. But I have to drive it. I am compelled to drive it. I love it. That's great. So let's say you don't get a Ferrari. We are going to save you money. I don't even know what Chad's going to choose. I'm very curious. And I think you are. I think you should get the manual Supra, and you should also get an Alfa Romeo 4C Spider. I did not go there at all. You didn't? No. Alfa Romeo is half a Ferrari. It's Mm. just as exotic. It's interesting. It has half the Ferrari sound. The Spider is the convertible. It is automatic. Your wife would love driving it. very good. It will be reliable as heck in compared to any Ferrari. Yeah. And that is your car. It's an exotic Italian badge. And he could still have the Super and still have saved money. Yep. That, there you go. Swaps two cars for two cars. 4C Spider and the Super Manual. I, and we're That's done. excellent. Excellent. That's very, very good. I totally thought you were going to no, say 4 No, that's not where I went. Here, okay. Here's where I went, Dave. Okay. Here's my wild card that I almost considered as a sniper shot, even though I think I, I had to talk this out some more. You've said you've always wanted a Ferrari, which tells me pedigree, but also styling. True. You want True. a convertible. And you want it to be automatic so your wife can drive it. So I thought, what looks like an exotic Ferrari, doesn't have terrifying maintenance, 
has an automatic that's a modern automatic, so you're not going to be frustrated by old automatic, right. and comes in convertible. And I landed on my favorite wild card. You, sir, need a Corvette C8 convertible. We love yeah. the C8 in convertible form more than in hardtop form. Yeah. I'm not talking wait for the Z06. I'm saying I, I realize they're not plentiful right now, but I'm saying spec out your perfect C8 Corvette. That's good. And that will have a modern automatic modern interior materials, a warranty, <laughs> yeah, a great convertible top. He's already proven you, that he loves you Corvettes. Ha- you have a 911 in the garage. You have Corvette history. You have a Corvette mm-hmm. in the garage you're keeping. Mm-hmm. That 1965 is a definitive Corvette of the front ooh, engine ooh, era. Ooh. Now you can do a mid-engine Ferrari teasing Corvette. Dare you get it in red? Dare you? <laughs> I think a That's C8 Corvette convertible is your answer, and you won't even spend a hundred grand. Okay, the point is, Dave, you have choices. Now. Yes, yes, that is the beauty. I mean, you could get all three, you know, if you really want to throw down. But then that puts us up to like eleven cars. Yeah. Or so. I, yeah. Nevertheless, either one, four C Spider, and you could have Mana. You can have your cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. Holy moly! At Yes. I like it. That's good. The 4C or, is compelling. I, I, you did well. I love that we went somewhere different and we both went completely off base. I was just thinking, base. what's half a Ferrari? I love it. A 4C That's Spider. That's, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like half a Ferrari. It always turns our heads when it's at full completely. song. Completely. Carbon fiber chassis. It feels like a little Ferrari. Yes. You paid yes. half a quarter of a Ferrari yes. price. I, uh, here's the other thing. I bet you if you went to your local cars and coffee in a 4C... There will be no more of you than just you. And there will be multiple Ferraris, right. multiple 911s. Oh, absolutely. But you will be the 4C in the lot, which is crazy. Unless you come in and... Not that that's why you're buying, but still. <laughs> Dragon Ferrari of some sort, and you got rock chips, and... Sure. You know, yes. looks kind of beat yes. down, uh-huh. but man, are you driving the boop boop off that thing. Either way, I think we're both in agreement. Whatever you get, got to drive it. Great questions. Great questions coming out. I, I want to start right here. An interesting twist on Track Daily Crush from Matt Guerra82. Track Daily Crush, in this case, he's using it this way. Drive this road once. Drive it daily. Drive it never. Mm. These are the three. Stelvio Pass. Scotland's North Coast 500 Loop. Ooh. And the Million Dollar Highway. Drive it daily. Drive it once. Or never drive it. <laughs> I have an answer. I've got mine. I am going to daily drive the Million Dollar Highway, and I will be so happy. I will wow. drive that in any weather. I will drive that. I, I, I get to pick my car, but I will drive that in any weather every day. Bring it. I love that road. Okay. Okay. The Scotland North Coast 500 is on my personal top of my bucket list of roads I want to drive and experience, <laughs> which means I am getting rid of it, never driving Stelvio Pass. And I think as much as it's incredible in all the photos and coverage I've ever seen, I think I'm okay with it because of the sheer amount of bus tourist traffic. Wow. I'm completely opposite. Okay, great. I want to daily the Stelvio Pass. <laughs> okay. And I would happily do Scotland's North Coast. Absolutely, it's up there. But that just leaves me doing it once. But at least I got to do it once. Sure, yeah. And because of my fear of heights, I am crushing the million-dollar highway. You are not a We've fan. We've done it. Stelvio Pass has walls. They've got walls. <laughs> Little rock walls. That's so comforting. And it's a gradual slope. Mm. So it's not just the drop-off, yes. like 500 feet or however high the million-dollar yes. highway is. 
Well, man, I'm just scared thinking about it right the, now. The amount of sections I'm of that road that we did that, that not have guardrails, that Paul was like, "Just don't talk to me right now. I just let Pretty me drive. Much. Let me just let me just do this right now." Pretty much. Andrew L on Facebook asks why green and bronze is such an appealing color combination. Mm, you saw He's that looking uh, to me. Hakone, did you? Mm. Oh yes. He's looking to me, the designer, for a real explanation. Well, you've got to pull up a color wheel. Look at a color wheel, mm. and green and red are opposites on the color wheel, okay? Whichever color wheel you find, they're complementary. They're opposite sides of the color wheel. Okay. Now, orange-ish, reddish is the derivation of bronze. That's, you know, it's a darker mm-hmm. orange or a darker red. It's not quite yellow. That's where gold is. Gold is next to green. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, almost on the opposite side is that darker bronze mm-hmm. color, mm-hmm. and it's complementary because it's Again, on the other side of the color wheel. Interesting. Complementary colors. This is why it works so well together. And then depending on the shade, you've got to tune it just right. And then things really come to life. And that's why it looks so good. That's what designers are always looking at is complementary lines, complementary colors, complementary textures in car interiors. That It's always the yin-yang, the, the, the opposites that make things so compelling. It's, you know, smooth versus rough. It's, you know, always those kinds of things in play for designers. And I think that's why you like it so much. That's why I love, yeah, blue and orange or, you know, mm-hmm. all these opposites of the color where you think that's why they go together so well. That's awesome. Rick Dreyer has a long question. I'm going to try to simplify it. I'm going to try to talk about it a little bit. He says, would we ever consider trading down on a car if it literally saved hundreds of dollars on insurance and probably meant a cheaper payment to own the car in the first place. He says, I, I, I know all the financial realities of, yes, of course, save money. But he's saying, does it make sense as a car person? He said, I can afford right now my current car payment and my current insurance. I can afford it. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the minister of finance and the minister of transport, two different people, uh, <laughs> or, or maybe the same person with two very different jobs. I'm not sure which way that right. went. But anyway, the point is that the ministries have have spoken up and said they'd really appreciate it if um if there were a little more money in the budget to save towards house purchase and so this brings him to considering should I trade down for the financial uh, benefit Rick here's the key thing that you haven't said do you have your eye on a car that matches the step down ah because Paul brought this up when we first bought our GR86 we as car people and also just as Human consumers, you think you're always going to spend more, get more, have better. The next thing I get is going to be more expensive and better than the last thing I get. And we really apply that to cars. Pretty much, yeah. Well, if I have a Miata, I have to get something more powerful than a Miata. Do you? Yeah. So, so the point yeah. I want to have here, Rick, is you don't say what car this is. And you don't say if you have your car, your, your eye on a car that is the step down. There is nothing wrong with stepping down in car purchases to get a different experience. And if the different experience intrigues you and you save money, there is nothing but do this. So I, I want to encourage you, if you have a car that matches the step down, I don't want you to go from a car you love to a car you hate because you saved money. That is antithetical to our show. It's good mm-hmm. for budgeting. It's antithetical to our show. <laughs> right, right. But if you have a car you think you'd enjoy that is going to be half the budget of what you're talking about, Go have that car for a while. You're still a car person. You have a great car you love. Have a new experience. Daniel H. writes to us on Twitter asking our opinion on white wheels. Oh, I'm glad you're tackling this. You're doing well with colors today. Yeah, it's all about it. He's getting the new BRZ in red. He's thinking about picking up a pair. Well, hopefully four of them, not just a pair. Yeah. (laughs) Any other color combos that would look good, he should be thinking of. Well, we've covered the green on tan, green Mm -hmm. and, and bronze, green and gold. We like that. 
But here we've got the Subaru colors, or yes. I like your thought process, and that is the BMW M2CS it's colors. very close to the M2CS. They're motorsports colors, rally yeah. colors. But those are Subaru colors yeah. that we have on the Toyota. What you're getting on the BRZ are Toyota colors. Yeah. Toyota or Peugeot. We just had red a red car, BRZ here. Oh, that you're right. That's right. That is Toyota you're rally colors right, right yes. there. So it's totally the opposite, which totally works because it's a Toyota slash sister car to the BRZ. So I, <laughs> I think it works. I do like white on red because it evokes mm. Peugeot, Toyota, mm. the, the rally kind of style. But for the most part, there's been some YouTubers that have ruined white wheels for me. Yeah, see, I'm not a white wheel fan, I have to admit. But I, but I see where on, you're going. On red. I do see where you're going. Okay. That's cool. That's like the All right. like an 89 Celica with red yeah, with the I, white. Now, now I, I mean? see it. That's now I cool. see it. Yep. That says rally. Okay. Otherwise, ugh, I'm not about the white wheels. I mean, Group B rallying is ruined forever because of some YouTubers' white wheels. David on Facebook says he's asking questions about driving at the limit. He's specifically talking about on track, but then he brings up autocross. He says he's figured out that his autocross driving has been limited. He's limited himself. He's reached his potential because of his lack of trust in the car. How does he break through this mental hurdle? How have we done it? How do we find the limits on a track? Now, the <laughs> the way you find the limit on the track <laughs> is you go too far that you figure out you need to bring it back. Don't do that. There's by the, the way. edge. Bam. Yeah, there, there's the edge of things. The autocross <laughs> is far less concerning for all of these things. But, but David, here's what I'm going to suggest to you that you don't say you've done. And here's what I think it's going to require. Find a hot shoe ride with them in your car. Great idea. Have somebody that yes. knows how to drive that you trust enough to put in your car. Drive your car as hard as they can. Because what I think is happening here is that you have limited experience on the forces involved. And ah, you have reached yes. yep. the edge of your comfort in the forces. And you think that the edge of your comfort in the forces is actually the edge of the car's capability. And I doubt there's an equal sign. You don't say what you've driven, but I doubt there's an equal sign between what you think is the edge and what's actually the edge of the car. Mm, so I think good. if you sit in the passenger seat and let somebody else drive your car harder than you're used to, you will realize that the envelope of the car's capability is further out than you've reached and what it feels like to be further out toward the limit than you are right now. And then you, I don't think, I don't think you'll do that ride and jump in your car and drive it that hard. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. But you'll understand, I've got room to run here. I've got room to play that is still well within the car's capability that hasn't reached danger or breakage yet. And you'll understand, you'll have that, that forces experience and you'll go pursue it. T. Downey 28 asks why we think more manufacturers aren't doing the Saturn thing with plastic body panels. I think there's a number of forces involved here. <laughs> I'm going to see you try to land the plate on the good things about I mean, if Saturn. If we're talking about color and molded in color, well, there you there's go. that. Mm. Do you think it was successful? Do we think that they Ooh. really cracked something and thought of, wow, they're doing something nobody else thought of? It never caught on because of customer perception. Mm, good point. I don't want a plastic cup on wheels. The Corvette still struggles under this. It does. Yeah. It does. There's composites. Composites is a much better word. Lotus uses them, Ferrari, some Porsche. And for the future, there's going to be a lot more. I've read about plant-based composite materials and mm-hmm. woven kinds of textiles to you know, redo and reshape car body panels. Okay, great. But it, it was perception at the time. It seemed cheap. It felt cheap, even though it seems like a really, really good idea. Perception is the bigger driver than the actual root of it. And 
body shops. You want to be able to paint it successfully mm-hmm. and repair issues. That 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 is more of a minor issue than overall customer perception. Yeah, I'm getting a great deal on the car. It's the one price. Man, is this thing a turd. Man, is so cheap. <laughs> Remember the commercials? There are people the who still drive Saturns. I still see them on totally. the road. Remember people with the shopping cart, that the commercial with the shopping cart bouncing off the door? That was a selling point. And yet <laughs> yeah. at the same time, we were all kind of like, well, don't park there. Anyway, yeah, separate exactly. thing. Jason Big says, best winter tire for an 86 in the greater Seattle area. He said, when it snows, I will probably park the car. So he's not going to drive in okay. snow. Okay. So he's talking about mostly rainy or freezing temperature oriented. Uh, Justin, if you're going to be dealing with freezing temperatures a lot, I'm going to say full winters. If you're okay. dealing with yeah. just above that, like high 30s, low 40s. I think you should look into some all-weathers. We have great ones. The WRG4s that we have on our, our cars yes, of the past right now you. are superb. Thank you. I'll give you a direct comparison in the Nokian line, since they're helping us on a couple of things right now. The Nokian Hakapalitas, man, that's fun to say. The yeah, Hakapalitas that are on the GR86 are amazing when there's actual snow on the ground. Mm-hmm. That, is their, that is their sweet spot. That is what they were built for. The further away you get from actual snow on the ground, the more you go, you know what? I need a different tire. But this is where the Nokian all-weathers come in because we've had our cars in the past on snowy roads and been like, you know what? I'm okay. But we've also had it in every other condition and been like, yeah, these are good. Cooper N. writes to us on Twitter asking about automotive and dealer brochures featuring the vehicle, the options, the specs. (laughs) They were a mainstay for decades. Mm -hmm. Are they gone for good? I still have brochures. I collected them when I was in grade school. That Mm -hmm. was the holy grail of going to a dealer and coming out with swag. (laughs) Got it. yeah. Yeah, they're gone for good. Virtual reality and augmented reality has ruined that for the rest of us. Heck, the website has ruined it. Yeah. <laughs> the internet itself. Why would you do that when you can spinny, flippy around on the internet and change <laughs> colors? Right. Yep. Why Why any more brochures? Even though the, the feeling of a really high-quality brochure and paper, that's almost reserved for the high-end magazines now. Mm, good point. That's where it comes in, and that makes it a valuable piece, you know, a collector's item kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Car brochures don't fall into that category anymore. Mm. Guys, thank you so much for all your questions. Really appreciate everything you guys yeah, do for us. It's great to have you guys with us for sure. Keep in mind, podcast 700 is two away. Oh my gosh. On our next podcast, we're going to be sitting down with our great friends at Griot's Garage. So that will yes. be 699. Yep. And then next Monday night, just less than a week from now, we will be on live on YouTube. We will do a live stream for 700. That is an all questions podcast, and we're looking forward to it. Write to us, TV at gmail.com, your topic Tuesdays, your car conclusions, and most of all, your car debates. Looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone.